Welcome, everybody, to Don't Panic, the podcast from Unit 42 at Palo Alto Networks. I'm Ryan Olson. And I'm Rick Howard. I'm the Chief Security Officer here. And if this is your first time listening to Don't Panic, this is the podcast where we take all these issues in cybersecurity, the ones that have you freaked out because you've heard the word, but you don't know what it means, or you're trying to figure it out. Or maybe afraid to admit that you don't know. Or maybe afraid to admit you have no idea what that's about and help you understand why you don't need to panic. Well, in this particular issue, this is one of those words, Ryan, where I don't know a lot about this, so I'm going to be asking lots of questions. The topic today is... PowerShell. PowerShell. Sounds so great. PowerShell is one of the latest shells that you can fire in Mario Kart for the uh, (laughs) Nintendo Switch. (laughs) The PowerShell shoots out and blows up. That's not what we're talking about. PowerShell is the command line shell in modern versions of Windows. So, all right, let's slow down. Okay, What's a command shell? So for anyone who's used like a Linux system uh, or a Unix system or really a modern Mac system, you're probably really used to shells. Um, You're used to having a command line terminal, a place where you can type commands. Those commands can be uh, run uh, lots of other little tools. uh, And that's how people in a command line world operate. They, they write code inside the shell so that they can connect all these things together. So it's not a point-click interface. This is people writing, uh, running commands from the, the command line. Exactly. Yeah. Not a GUI, not a graphical user interface, a command line interface. Yep. And that's how um, a lot of types of developers and system administrators are used to working. And, and most of us know this from Linux and Unix systems, but we've this has been available in Windows for a while. Forever. Uh, yeah. So Windows you know, has its roots in DOS, the disk operating mm-hmm. system, which was all command line. So as Windows was growing, it maintained this command line interface of DOS, but it was really way behind Linux, Unix, all these other operating systems that had really robust command line interfaces because they'd been built as that as the core, not as the GUI first. And... What happened was, uh, back in the early 2000s, there were a bunch of people who were moving from Linux to Windows to start running server applications, and more people who were doing administration of large sets of Windows systems as well. Windows Server was growing as well. And there was a group inside Microsoft who kicked off this project in 2002 called the the Monad Project. Uh, And the idea was, let's build a better Windows shell one that can do all these things that the Unix systems have done in the past, and one that can help bring people along and really bring the Windows shell into the modern era. Mm. And that was the beginning of PowerShell. So it went through a few different iterations. Uh, The first public beta, this took some time. This was not like an overnight kind of success. Uh, 2005, so three years later, was the first public beta of Monad. And it wasn't until 2009 that Microsoft started including PowerShell by default in their operating system. So that was Windows 7 and Windows Server 2008 R2. Those are the first versions of PowerShell that were actually installed by default. So at this point, you're probably wondering why are we talking about this yeah. and don't panic. Because it seems like an administrative tool. If you hadn't heard of PowerShell, you're like, well, I have never panicked about this. This is not a thing that I'm worried <laughs> well, about. Well, we're getting ready to tell you why you should panic. Absolutely. So in 2010, just a year later, that was when we first started seeing attacks that were using PowerShell. Uh, there were some proof of concepts originally, and then real-world attacks that were taking advantage of the fact that we now had this scripting tool that could do everything you can do in an executable, effectively. You can do all these awesome things um, on Windows just by writing a script. Anything that an administrator can do on the keyboard, this thing could do with a little simple script. Exactly. And what the security sort of establishment, all the AV companies have been doing for years is detecting files, like malicious files like executables and other things that we know can do bad stuff. But PowerShell script is just a text file. So we didn't really have the mechanisms at that time to say, let's scan these files to make sure they're not a bad thing before they go and execute. And that became a way that they could evade the security mechanisms inside of the network and on the hosts. 
So as we were looking at this a little bit more, um, PowerShell's really been growing. So I actually recently pulled some stats on Wildfire. Wildfire can process. Wildfire is our behavioral analysis system up here in the cloud. Um, and we collect thousands of new PowerShells every single day. PowerShell scripts. Every day? Every day. Every day. Thousands of new PowerShell scripts huh. that come in. And like most legitimate file types, 90% of them are benign. But there's that 10%, which we flag as malicious because they're doing malicious stuff. And we can identify that malicious stuff inside of Wildfire. And that's a similar ratio to what we see with, with PDFs and other kind of things, which have a legitimate purpose, but they get used for bad stuff. And on top of that as well, PowerShell can be executed by other things. So I was just looking uh, for files that are actually using PowerShell but aren't PowerShell scripts. We have hundreds of thousands of Word documents and Excel files that all they do is launch PowerShell. And I will tell you, if you have a Word document that opens a PowerShell script, that's a bad that's thing. That's a bad thing. There's not. There's you nothing good should happening. Should not be doing that. There's not. You're the the person who's using Word and writing a Word document down the road and sending an email to you with that. They're not adding a PowerShell script to it. Yep. But from VB, uh, VBA, the Visual Basic for Applications, which exists inside of Excel and for Word, it can actually go and launch PowerShell. And what we've seen, because it has so much capability and because people want to be able to, um, if, if every time you saw PowerShell launched, obviously it was bad, it would just be easy to turn it yeah. off. But it's an administrator tool. It's been around for a decade. It's been embedded into Windows. It gets used for so much different stuff. Well, I like the way you said it before, right? You, you compare it to like Adobe files or yep. Word files, right? Most of them are benign, but every once in a while somebody slaps a bad yeah. thing in there, and then so it's bad. So you can't shut them all off, but you have to watch for the badness. And I think something that's important to know is this isn't just advanced attackers. This isn't just governments who are like, aha, we have discovered PowerShell is bad. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of these, like really common malware, like Emotet, which we see coming over email every day and different kinds of documents, uses PowerShell. It's just one of the capabilities it uses to get execution on the host. So I thought it was, if, if you're not panicked about PowerShell, you should be panicked now, and now we can talk about why you're not I was going to say, I'm panicked, panicked about it, because here's this, here's this thing, okay, that I didn't really know much about, and, and it is this, I don't know, laser-guided uh, weapon system that anybody could use, even the low-level... Um, Hackers can Anyone use can pick it up and use it. So PowerShell, you can't just, uh, if you want to take control of it, you can't just turn it off. I mentioned that before. PowerShell is it's built into Windows. Part it's of the used by system. lots of stuff. Yeah. Your administrator is absolutely using PowerShell to administer hosts inside your network. And if they're not, they probably should be because they'd be a lot more efficient. That's why it exists. But PowerShell has evolved over time. So with the latest versions of PowerShell, starting with PowerShell v5, Microsoft recognized that there were security issues with PowerShell, the fact that it was enabling all this stuff, and they started making some changes, and there are things that you can do as an administrator to help get control over PowerShell. So the first thing is logging. You can enable logging through group policy to enable uh, logging of all sorts of PowerShell activities, specific modules being called from PowerShell, as well as all the PowerShell being executed inside your network. And I think that's a really good first step because if you are currently saying, I have no idea if PowerShell is even used in my network, enabling logging through group policy will enable you to actually get a log of how often it's occurring. Yeah, so if you're gonna use like behavioral analytics to find the bad uh, PowerShell stuff, you can't even think about it until you actually have an idea of what is normal for your organization. Gotta get an idea of what's sort of the yeah. baseline normal. Is this something that your admins really are using on every host? Or maybe you've determined there's very little PowerShell and you can take some really restrictive options before mm -hmm. they do start using it. So the second thing that um, Microsoft added with PowerShell v5 um, in Windows 10 is they actually added um, the analysis of script files, including PowerShell, to the Windows anti-malware interface, which made it much easier for AV engines to actually go and look at a PowerShell script 
JavaScript before it's launched, which was a great change. You don't need to do anything around that as long as your AV engine is supporting it. And then there's two other things that they did. Uh, the first is they created this system called Just Enough Administration, J-E-A, which lets you limit the activity that PowerShell can do based off of who the user is on that host. So that if I, a normal user on a Windows host, open up an Emotet Word document, it can't go and do all the things that would be necessary uh, to really be successful in infecting my computer with something. So if PowerShell is a Swiss Army knife, yes. okay, uh, Microsoft gave you an ability that says you can only use the blade yes. and not all the other smaller things. Only the spoon. <laughs> only the spoon. Yes. Just the spoon. The blade is bad. Just the spoon. That was a much better. So you way can to just flip that. that out. That is all. Um, and there's one more thing that they added, uh, and this is really more built into Windows. But um, the same way that you can limit Windows to running just signed executables, uh, which is not a step that everyone can take because they have lots of unsigned executables, you can limit it to just run signed PowerShell scripts as well, which would stop an unsigned PowerShell script from executing on your system. And if you're in an enterprise environment where you don't already have tens or hundreds of PowerShell scripts that are always running on your host, this might be a good opportunity to say, hey, before we go and do that, let's go and take this step and make sure we have signing infrastructure in place so that when we do start running these scripts, we do it in a controlled way and we don't have to worry about all these unsigned What's scripts. your gut feel for how many people are actually signing their PowerShell scripts? I don't know, but now I want to go and look at how many of the <laughs> PowerShell scripts we're seeing in Wildfire are already signed. Yeah, I think it's a um, good thing to go find That is definitely a future out. thing to go and check in on. <laughs> but overall... As with most things, PowerShell control is about having visibility. I want to know whether or not things are actually happening, and then making sure you understand the control points that you have in place to be able to stop bad stuff from occurring. So it's a very powerful tool. Bad guys can use it to do bad things, but there's ways you can limit the reach and uh, limit the damage. And the worst thing you can do is stick your head in the stand and say, PowerShell's not a problem, or I'm going to remove PowerShell from all my hosts because PowerShell's coming. Yeah. If it's, it's already on all your Windows machines, and you're not going to be able to stop your users from doing it. This isn't about preventing people from being productive. It's about making sure you have control to allow them to be successful. All right, so I'm less panicked. Oh, it is now time, again, for the pop culture moment. Let's do it, because you know, there's a reason I do this podcast. Absolutely. So let me set this one up. This one is, once again, for Mr. Robot. And if you've heard Mr. If you've heard this podcast, you've almost certainly heard about Mr. Robot. If you haven't watched it, this is a show that was on the USA Network, and it's over now. It's over now, yeah. And uh, it follows a hacker named Elliot, uh, Mr. Hacker Man, who does all sorts of things. Well, let's just say the first season especially is probably the best... Uh, depiction of the cyber, our cyberspace on TV. Yep, is that fair? Fantastic. Is that fair? It is very, very good. Yeah. And one of the challenges of um, using Mr. Robot is because it's so accurate, oftentimes it's not a very good audio clip because it's just a guy sitting quietly typing at a computer. But in this case, we've got a scene which is largely narrated by Elliot, our hacker. Um, and the story in this one is Elliot's in the hospital, and it starts off with him talking to his doctor, his psychiatrist, who's um, worried about him because he does some crazy things. And he's explaining what he's going to do to uh, hack the hospital. All right, let's hear it. Here we go. Submit to a bi-monthly drug test voluntarily. That's the only way that I'll recommend your release. Hospitals. A heavily networked one like this are almost too easy to hack. This is William Highsmith. He's not only the head of the IT department here. He is the IT department. He's also an idiot. Not that I blame him, because the people that hire him are also idiots. The poor guy only gets a budget of about 7,000 bucks a year, and he's supposed to protect their network from people like me. He never stood a chance. He uses useless virus scans, dated servers, and security software that runs on Windows 98. It's one of the reasons.
reasons why I made this place my primary care facility. I can make my health records look like every other obedient zombie out there. He just described the entire cybersecurity landscape for most of the users out there. <laughs> and in particular, hospitals. <laughs> hospitals are, uh, I mean, I, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Hospitals have become a, a really good target for a lot of attackers because of the scenario that was just described there. Really under-resourced, really flat networks, lots of old systems that haven't been updated and people are afraid to go and touch them because yeah, they're doing medical stuff. Can't be updated. Can't yeah. be updated, potentially, and not... Uh, they don't necessarily have the best talent in there going and stopping them. There's certainly great hospitals who do have good cybersecurity, but the sort of default hospital, um, you're going to be in this kind of situation. Well, I, when I go out and speak to crowds, my when I talk about this kind of situation, yeah. I'm always referring to the two guys and a dog in the back room that are responsible for the network, the security of the network, and getting coffee for the doctors. Yeah. Right? And there's just no way they're going to be protected against a high-end hacker like Elliot. Exactly. And one per especially who's already inside the hospital. Yeah. Who's Sitting already at a inside computer, it, You can yeah. just walk in and t walk <laughs> up to the computer that's left. I mean, it's so simple from that perspective to go and do other things. And in this case, what Elliot was doing, the visual part of this, was going and updating his test results to actually show something that was different um, uh, from a drug test perspective than uh, what he wanted, than what the, the test actually was showing. So he could get released. So he could get released and go back to doing all the drugs and being Mr. Hackerman. So we, we have two kinds of these pop culture moments, ones that are bad ideas or bad ways to show cyber and ones that are good. This falls squarely into this is pretty good. Definitely on the good side. And almost all of Mr. Robot falls on the good side. Yeah, that's actually, good. now I feel like I should go and try to find some bad Mr. Oh, Robot Oh, that's great. Tech. That's yeah, our new challenge. That's the challenge. And if you have one and you're listening, let us know. Please let us know. Yeah. We would love to have it. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for this episode of Don't Panic. Join us again on the next one. See you guys. You've been listening to the Palo Alto Network's podcast series. For more useful information, including conversations like this one, visit paloaltonetworks.com.